0: Welcome to Sightseeing Japan, the podcast where we explore the land of freezer jeans. I'm Paul Bresson.
1: And I'm Jason Neeling. And wow, freezer jeans. Interesting. Okay. (laughs) Today we're talking about Japanese denim. Now you might be thinking, what is so special about jeans made in Japan? Why is this even a topic worth talking about? Why Why don't we talk about Japanese shoes? Japan is a mecca for high quality jeans.
0: That's why we're talking about
1: it. That is true. They are known for making some of the best denim in the world. One of those things where Japan took an idea, in this case from the US, and they made it their own. And now they make even higher quality denim than the companies that originally inspired the Japanese denim industry. So 1 to 10, how excited are you for this topic, Jason? Pretty excited. been looking forward to this one for a long time, but I also found it a little stressful putting together notes for this one just because... There's so much to say and I had trouble condensing it all into one episode. I don't know. We'll see. We'll see how it goes. How did your notes go? I was curious to see how you felt about that or if you learned a lot of interesting stuff. I actually enjoyed doing the notes for the most part. I've heard you talk about
0: most of this stuff before, you know, and I don't rem- I didn't remember, you know, what does slubbiness mean, you know? You've mm-hmm. explained that to me before, but I didn't remember the term. Mm-hmm. But now, I know. And I'm like, oh yeah, I've seen that before. That was kind of cool. So and it was, it was kind of fun. And now you're a full-fledged denim fanatic, right? I mean, I'm into it. I don't think I'm ever going to hit your level, but <laughs> I'm into it. Okay. I uh, need a new pair of blue jeans. I was just thinking that as I was finishing up my notes today. Yeah. I need to go get some blue jeans.
1: Well, birthday is coming up. <laughs> <laughs> If any
0: of you out there know a denim head, you've probably heard them throw around all these crazy words, like slubbiness that I said earlier.
1: Maybe. Some yeah. people like to just fly under the radar, you know? They have their awesome jeans, but they just want to walk around feeling cool in their jeans. They don't need to talk about it. Well, today you can learn the
0: secret language. Yeah. You walk
1: up to someone wearing a full denim outfit, and you're like,
0: oh, bro, I love the slubbiness there. They're just going to be like,
1: oh, yeah, dude, <laughs> look at it. They'll start showing you everything. Yeah. Probably. Yeah. So, you know, something that occurred to me in researching this, you know how we talked in previous episodes about a bunch of different stuff where Japan tries to, like, hold on to these traditional crafts, the old way of doing things, just because there's cultural value there? Yeah. Like we talked about it with sword making or wood joinery, that kind of thing. And it occurred to me in this episode, you could argue that in this case, Japan helped preserve American heritage by reviving this craft of making denim the old way while America went in the direction of mass production outsourcing this stuff to like poor countries where they can make denim as cheaply as possible i would say
0: that's absolutely correct that's exactly the impression that i got and that the japanese going back to the roots of denim making that inspired american companies to start doing the same thing mm-hmm. and going back to their roots
1: yeah there's a lot of like back and forth between the us and japan with jeans and manufacturing methods and stuff. It's kind of cool how they feed off of each other a little bit. Well, should we talk about the history of denim then? Yes, we should. And, you know, before we get into the history of denim in Japan specifically, we should probably start with the history of denim in general, right? Yeah, I think so. So you might think of denim as an American thing. Nothing as American as blue jeans and apple pie, right? Yep. Is that a thing people say? (laughs) That sounds like it could be. But the word denim actually comes from French. Serge de Nîmes means fabric from Nîmes, which is a place in France where denim was first made. Supposedly. Supposedly? Yeah, there doesn't seem to be like super hard evidence, but that's everyone's best guess as far as I
0: understood. That's the legend. Yeah. And you know, it's got the name, so why not? But...
1: We all know it is an American thing. So blue jeans are an American thing. Yeah, but denim came to America before blue jeans did. You know, originally it was just the fabric, right? And that became popular in the U.S. during the 1800s when there was a gold rush going on. So people needed really rugged, durable clothes for mining gold. And denim fit the bill. So they had this really sturdy fabric and that's all cool. But what happens if your seams fail? There's no point in having really rugged fabric if your seams can't hold up to the rigors of mining, right? Right. So, to solve that problem, in 1873, a guy named Jacob W. Davis, a tailor from Nevada, teamed up with Levi Strauss, whose name you may recognize, to make the first rivet-reinforced denim pants. That you could consider the ancestor of modern blue jeans.
0: Yeah, that's when it seemingly becomes what we know today as a blue jean. You'd look at it and go, oh, that's a pair of jeans.
1: Yep. So over the years, they tried different variations on this garment, experimenting with different numbers of pockets, that sort of thing. But by 1901, Levi Strauss was selling a five-pocket garment that eventually became the template for blue jeans around the world. So you got the two front pockets, two back pockets, and then... What we now call a coin pocket was originally a watch pocket, actually, because people were carrying pocket watches back then. Interesting. Didn't know that. Mm -hmm. And like you said, these
0: were work jeans. So people weren't buying these for fashion. They were looking for something that would last long and be comfortable while they were working. Mm -hmm.
1: Durability was probably number one for the longest time what people were looking for in their jeans. Totally. Totally. Denim became widely popular in the 1930s when Hollywood was making a bunch of cowboy movies. Actors were wearing jeans. This is the point where it started turning into more of a fashion thing. People see these figures and they're like, those are cool dudes. I want to be like them. Yeah. And fun fact is,
0: guess cowboys didn't wear jeans. <laughs> it's just Hollywood that that's, made that that's a, a made thing. up Hollywood thing. Because mm. jeans were on the West Coast, just getting popular for minors. When all the Wild West stuff was taking place in the Midwestern states. So I, they didn't wear, I don't think they wore blue jeans. Hmm. They wore some sort of trousers or
1: something. Yeah. Cool.
0: But Hollywood's got that cowboy look. Interesting. Yeah. So during World War II, many Americans started working in factories to start pumping out the products of war and they wore blue jeans. So it became more and more popular and people just kept wearing them after the war was over.
1: This was also the time when soldiers started introducing jeans to the rest of the world. They would wear them while they were on leave. People around the world started seeing these blue jeans, like, oh, that's an interesting piece of clothing. So this would have been the first time denim was introduced to Japan. Then in the 1950s, jeans started to take on an air of rebellion, appearing in movies like The Wild One on Marlon Brando, and in Rebel Without a Cause on James Dean. So... It was in this time period when young people in Japan really started to get interested in denim and American culture in general. That's kind of interesting. Like, I feel like that's not usually how it goes when uh, you have a foreign force occupying a country. That country doesn't usually be like, oh, these occupying forces are really cool. I want to look like them. What's up with that?
0: Well, it was a counterculture. So maybe that's how it has something to do. The main culture didn't like it. But the youth's rebelling went to it because it shocked people or offended them. It's an interesting idea.
1: Yeah. So anyway, people were seeing the soldiers and the movie stars started to think that jeans were pretty cool, started to want to emulate that American style. So in Japan, some entrepreneurs saw this demand growing for blue jeans and they thought, hey, I can make some money by importing jeans from the U.S. and sell those for a lot of money. But even though people started doing this, Japan still just couldn't get enough of those jeans. There was too much demand, so they started making jeans themselves. And this is where the denim industry in Japan was born, in the mid-1960s. So most of the jean production was concentrated in Kojima, which is a town in Okayama Prefecture. And it kind of made sense that this would be the place for the industry to centralized because they had been making textiles there for a long time. It was a pretty easy transition into denim specifically. But at first, at the very beginning, they weren't producing their own denim. They would buy denim from America, and then they would cut that up and assemble it into jeans. It wasn't until 1972 when Curabo Mills managed to produce their own denim, and that denim was used to make the M-series jeans you hear about the M-Series, Paul? The OG
0: jeans in Japan?
1: Yeah. So these were produced by one of the first Japanese denim companies, Big John. And yeah, they were the first jeans produced entirely in Japan. They made the fabric and they turned that fabric into jeans. That's a nice milestone. Mm-hmm. And, you know, you might have noticed that name, Big John, that doesn't sound Japanese, right? Right. Because, I mean, clearly it's inspired by American culture and a lot of those original denim brands. Had names that don't sound Japanese at all. They wanted their customers to think this is like an American thing when they saw their products on the shelves. Makes sense. That's what was cool at the time. Yep. So from there, things really started to take off. The first brands that popped up basically tried to make Levi's clones. They saw these Levi's coming in from the US. They wanted to faithfully reproduce those, basically. But over time, brands started to experiment. And see how they could tweak things. And this is where you start to see jeans with more of a Japanese flavor to them. I think it's important to note that up until
0: the 1970s, mostly all denim was sold as raw denim. And we'll talk shortly about what what exactly raw denim is. Mm -hmm. But in the 70s and 80s, the jean brands in America started stonewashing and distressing their jeans. Basically make them softer and more easily wearable right away. So someone could just put on a pair of jeans and boom, they're comfortable uh, right away from day one. Mm -hmm. And a lot of Japanese enthusiasts became disillusioned with the American manufacturers at this change. And even more Japanese manufacturers started popping up, producing old school style American jeans.
1: Right. They kind of went back to the beginning and they're like, we want the authentic thing. We don't want this cheap... Mass-produced stuff that's coming out of America now. Yeah, I think I have heard that a lot
0: of these companies even bought like the old machinery from American companies that they weren't using anymore.
1: I've definitely heard that, but I've also heard that that's a bit of a myth. Okay. But yeah, so it, it was around the 1950s when America started mass-producing denim because there, there were these technological innovations that let them make denim faster and cheaper, started using synthetic indigo instead of natural indigo. And yeah, Japan just wanted to go back in time, get the stuff that the cowboys supposedly were wearing, right? Yeah. <laughs> so, in Osaka specifically actually, there were these five companies, which are now known as the Osaka 5, that adopted these vintage weaving methods and they really accelerated the denim renaissance in Japan and inspired other companies to move in the same direction. You know, they're like, we're not going to do this whole mass-produced thing like the US. We're going to try to make really high-quality interesting artisan jeans you could say
0: yeah i think that's a good description i've heard them described as reverse engineered jeans yeah going back in time and trying to redo how it was done totally and then make improvements even
1: yeah so yeah japanese denim i feel like it wouldn't be what it is today if it weren't for those five companies that really dug into this idea and all five of those companies are still around today actually if you want to Get your hands on a pair of jeans with a lot of history. So in the late 1990s, there was a worldwide explosion of luxury denim. And this is where those Japanese brands really started to get attention from the rest of the world. Even brands like Louis Vuitton and Gucci started buying their denim from Japan as people started to recognize the quality and craftsmanship of Japanese denim. That's cool. Those Louis jeans, you're rocking (laughs) Japanese denim? Yeah. I didn't know that. So coming up to the modern day, Japan is now known for making some of the best jeans in the world, as we said. And while the big American companies, you know, Lee and Wrangler and Levi's, they're still selling a ton of jeans, of course, but very few of them are made in the U.S. And at this point, there's almost no selvedge denim produced in the U.S. And we'll explain in a little bit what selvedge means. But for now, just know that that's kind of generally seen as a sign of quality or at least of these older manufacturing methods we've been talking about. I feel like I should point out that there are still some small jeans companies in the U.S. that are making premium jeans, but most of them are actually buying their denim from Japan, and they just assemble it in the U.S. and call it, you know, made in the U.S. So, you know, as I mentioned earlier, there's this exchange back and forth between the U.S. and Japan And now it's kind of a reversal of what was happening at the beginning. You know, Japan started out buying their denim from the U.S. and turning it into jeans, and now it's the other way around. American companies get their denim from Japan and turn it into jeans there. Yeah. All
0: right, Jason, I think we need to talk about raw denim.
1: Yes, I think we do. This is probably the most popular type of Japanese denim in the rest of the world. Yeah, seems like that to me. So what is raw denim? What makes it
0: raw? Raw denim is a denim fabric that hasn't been washed after it was dyed.
1: Right, so it's not processed. You don't have all this artificial fading and stuff. If you go to the store and look at jeans in the U.S., you look at some Levi's or something, most of them are pretty soft. And a lot of times you'll see like artificial distressing on them, right? You see some fading going on already. Maybe there are even some tears and fraying. They're made to look like they've been worn, right? Yeah. Because people like the look of worn denim. Jeans just look cool when they've been beaten up a bit. And raw denim is the opposite of that. The denim is woven, cut, turned into jeans, and that's it. You buy it just like that, coming out of the factory. They don't spend extra time shredding them up or washing them a bunch of times to make them all soft. They're a blank slate.
0: I've heard it described as denim in its purest
1: form. Absolutely. That is a great way to put it. So personally, this is the first thing that attracted me to raw denim because it, it kind of bugged me. When I was trying to buy some jeans, and they all have these like little white stripes kind of painted on the thighs. I'm like, what is that? You know, most of the time they don't even look real at all. Like it's very clear that they're just put there to, to be like a little fashion-y thing.
0: And they don't line up with where you, the jeans actually crease
1: when they're when you're wearing them. Exactly. And it seemed just so hard to find some jeans that didn't have that stuff. I'm like, just give me some normal jeans, you know? And then I heard about raw denim, which is exactly what that is. And yeah, that was the beginning of the end for me.
0: Yeah. Raw denim's going to be more stiff when you put it on. You kind of got to like work them into the form of your body. But then they take that form and they get those creases. It's almost a testament to like every mile you've walked or every
1: move your body's done as left a imprint on the jeans. Totally. I think that's one of the big things that people love about raw denim is that your jeans end up completely unique to you. Like you are a part of turning these jeans into, you know, their final form or whatever. Yeah. Your jeans can tell a little bit of your story. Yeah. The, the way they fade depends on how you live your life. And, you know, eventually you get that kind of look that all those pre-distressed jeans are looking for. So you just get a chance to beat them up yourself instead of having a company do it for you, basically. And people like the idea of that authenticity. Yeah. So I feel like
0: to break it down so far, the disadvantage of raw denim is they're not going to feel as great the first time you put them on. They might take a little time to break in. The advantages are they break into your body perfectly and look really cool. Mm -hmm. Yeah, people call them like a second skin. Like they just
1: formed your body
0: Yeah, there's other advantages too, such as using less water. Mm -hmm. When they wash and treat these jeans to break them in, it takes a lot of water that you save buying raw denim. Um, They also use less chemicals in the manufacture process, which is good for the environment and good for workers that have to work with them.
1: Yeah, a lot of people like raw denim because it's arguably more ethical. You may be aware of some of the ethical concerns around the garment industry as a whole. You know, a lot of companies outsource labor to the poor parts of the world, and workers work ridiculous hours in unsafe conditions. And with jeans specifically, with all that distressing that a lot of companies do, that can be really bad for the people that do that. Uh, You might have heard of sandblasting, which they use to really quickly fade denim, when they do that, it fills the air with silica dust that can get into the workers' lungs, which is really bad news. Yeah, that sounds awful. And uh, like Paul said, other types of distressing use huge amounts of water, uh, but with Japanese raw denim, you know, it's made in Japan where the workers are paid a living wage and it's safer, of course, since there's not that artificial distressing going on. Yeah. Uh, another thing that people like about raw denim is the quality. Just the fact that denim is raw doesn't necessarily mean that it's high quality, but the brands that are making raw denim are generally those smaller brands that are showing more attention to detail. They're making smaller batches of denim and just generally have higher quality standards. And going along with that is craftsmanship. You know, These brands are making artisanal denim, experimenting with weaving and dyeing methods, looking for ways to make their denim stand out. All right, so let's talk about the characteristics of Japanese denim. All those little things that make it so special. All right. I feel like we should start with weaving. I think that's a good place to start. Should we talk about different types of looms briefly? Yeah, I think we should. Try to keep it brief. I don't know. I I could talk for a long time about looms. (laughs) (laughs) I can keep it brief because I don't know that much. Okay. Basically,
0: what I understand is that Most denim today in the world is made on what are called shuttle-less looms. Those newer looms are also known as projectile looms. Okay. Uh, And Japanese denim is generally made on traditional shuttle looms. Yep. Which actually has a little shuttle, I guess you call it, going back and forth across the fabric, weaving it in. Whereas the projectile
1: looms, it's like shooting the
0: fabric across somehow.
1: Pretty much, yeah. So if I can back up just a little bit and talk about how looms are kind of set up. I don't know, is that common knowledge? Like how, what a loom looks like? I feel like I learned about that in school at some point. I mean, I feel like I saw pictures of like Industrial Revolution England starting to like (laughs) weave, weave stuff. Yeah. So... I'll start with the shuttle loom. With this kind, you basically have vertical yarns. These are the blue ones, right? The ones that have been dyed indigo. Those are called the warp. And those are going to be all stretched out in rows. And then the white yarn, the weft, you know, if you look at the inside of a pair of jeans, they're mostly white, right? What you're seeing there is the weft. That's the yarn that goes left and right kind of across the blue ones. And yeah, like Paul, you said, there's a shuttle that has that weft kind of wrapped around it, and it goes back and forth, back and forth across the loom. So that's how jeans used to be made in the U.S., but in the 1950s, almost all the denim mills in the U.S. switched over to these projectile looms, because that lets them produce denim much faster. The weft, instead of being shuttled back and forth, it is shot from one side to the other with a projectile. That's where it gets that name. So these projectile looms don't Make inherently lower quality denim than shuttle looms. But the reason people like those shuttle looms is that idea of authenticity. And it's just kind of a sign that the company is more focused on quality rather than quantity. So in Japan, the high end denim companies are making small batches of denim on these shuttle looms. And they can tweak those looms in all sorts of ways to make different kinds of denim with different characteristics. Yeah, different weights, different tension. So there's just a lot more room for experimentation and uh, making something that no one's ever seen before. Another important thing to know about shuttle looms is that they create something called salvage. Yes, which apparently comes
0: from the word self-edge and somehow just got cut down to salvage over the years. Mm-hmm. It's where the shuttle reaches the end of the fabric and turns around, it creates fabric that's woven all the way to the end, basically, with no
1: fraying ends on it, right? Right. The weft wraps around the edge of the warp. So you, yeah, there's no loose thread there. It's all just kind of held together. But with those projectile looms, you just have frayed edges. So you got to do something about that. So if you're wearing jeans right now, or if you have a pair of jeans in the closet, go check those out. Flip up the outside of the hem at your ankle, and you'll probably see stitching around the edge of the fabric that's there to keep it from fraying. But if you're wearing selvedge denim, you won't see that stitching because it just has that naturally sealed edge that's not going to fray anyway. And a lot of denim companies will actually use different colors on the edges of the denim to create a little colored band known as a selvedge ID. And different brands will use different colors to kind of have like a little signature on there. So you can recognize, oh, this this is from this brand because I can see that selvedge ID. Yeah, I heard that there's some brands that even are using metallic threads for that to mm-hmm. make themselves stand out a little more. Yeah, Samurai actually. There's a jeans company called Samurai and they use silver thread in that selvedge as uh, it's supposed to symbolize the Samurai sword. That's pretty cool. Yeah. Um, there's another brand called Pure Blue Japan that uses a light blue selvage line. Uh, kind of a standard common one is red. There's, there's a lot of different selvage IDs you'll see out there. Yeah. And denim enthusiasts, a lot of them like to cuff their denim, you know, roll up the bottom at their ankle a little bit to show mm-hmm. off that ID. Kind of one of those subtle signals to other denim heads, you know, maybe they'll recognize that and be like, oh, this guy knows what he's doing with those jeans. Those are some nice jeans. Yeah, and this is really funny, actually. As that became popular, got a little bit more mainstream. Some big brands started to notice that, and they tried to make fake selvage on their jeans to you know try to capitalize on that trend. Oh wow! (laughs) I'm gonna call them out. Ralph Lauren, for example, they started using colored stitching on the edges of their denim to try to fake the look of selvage. So like it's it's not selvage. It's just Made on projectile looms, but they'll use different colored stitching to make it look like selvage. Wow. I didn't know that. Isn't that cheap? Uh, It sounds cheap. This is even worse. There are other brands that would take strips of real selvage and just sew it onto the bottom few inches of the jeans so that you could flip up your cuff and show it off, but it's it's still not real selvage denim.
0: Wow. That's crazy. Yeah. That happens in fashion though. Sometimes it's about having
1: the look more than it is about having the real thing. Exactly, yeah. Uh, So as I mentioned, Japanese brands have experimented in all sorts of ways to make different kinds of denim and want to talk about a few other things that they have done to make interesting fabric. One thing is called slub. What's slub, Paul? Slub is
0: when... The warp yarn differs in thickness throughout the denim. You could do it either intentionally or sometimes unintentionally. Uh, it creates an uneven, uh, rough, bumpy texture
1: on the denim because it's not quite uniform thread
0: throughout, right?
1: Right. And, you know, originally... This might have happened, you know, a hundred years ago or something when they were making fabric because they just didn't have the technology to make like perfectly uniform yarns. But these days, brands will intentionally introduce this as a way to change the texture and kind of just make it a more interesting fabric. It can also have a really major effect on how the denim fades because the thicker parts of the yarn are going to stick out a little bit more. So they're going to be more subject to friction and they're going to fade a bit faster. That's interesting. Yeah, there's actually a phenomenon known as vertical falling, where those slubby, the thicker parts of the yarns that are sticking out a little bit more, as they fade more, you get like these vertical white lines that almost look like rain falling. Okay. That's kind kind of of a cool
0: effect. There are some brands especially known for the slubbiness of their jeans. Yes. I heard Oni and Samurai are kind of known for that.
1: Yeah, I mentioned Oni in a... Another episode not too long ago and I couldn't remember what their thing was like I was like is it rough like a demon something like that it's slubby like a demon that was their okay. that was their slogan slubby or like a demon I like that Yeah uh, Another somewhat related concept is called nep I Read about nep Paul Yeah so nep is one of those things where
0: you showed me before and it looks cool but I didn't remember the term or it didn't mean anything to me at the time mm-hmm. Uh, NAP is where there's entangled fibers within the denim that can create kind of a snowy look on the fabric.
1: Yeah, they're just like these little white tufts kind of poking out and it can look really cool. I remember seeing there's this one brand that made, like they intentionally tried to make the neppiest denim they possibly could. And it really looks like if you just took a pair of really dark denim and threw it outside on a snowy day, (laughs) like during a snowstorm and there's just snow all over. It looks really cool. It just adds more to the look. It's just one more layer of things you can do to play around with how the jeans end up looking. Exactly. Another thing that can change the feel of denim is the type of cotton used. You can get cotton from different parts of the world that each have their own different properties, and the length of the cotton fibers will actually affect the softness of the
0: denim. Interesting. Yeah. Hmm. We should talk about the weight, too, because this is one thing where... I kind of understood where small weight means thinner jeans and higher weight means thicker jeans, but I didn't know what I, what it was coming from.
1: What, so, what do you mean exactly what it was coming from?
0: Oh, how you determine the number?
1: Okay, like okay. why
0: is this fifteen ounce jeans? Like, what does fifteen ounces mean? Yeah, it refers to how much weight a yard of the fabric weighs in ounces. A s- square yard. Yes, yard by a yard. So, it varies all the way from ultralight 5 ounces, apparently. I don't know if I've ever seen any of that then. All the way up to 32 ounces, which are just insanely thick, heavy fabric. They're like wearing carpet. So, uh, I'm wearing a pair of raw denim right now, and I love them. Looking good, Paul. I think mine are 13.5 ounces, if I remember correctly. and. They felt at least about as thick as normal jeans I'd worn my whole life. They didn't feel especially thin at all. Mm -hmm. You've got some in the 20s, right? Yeah, my thickest pair is 22 ounce. And I felt them, and it is so thick. It's like canvas, but
1: maybe even more. (laughs) Yeah, I love them. Those are some of my favorite jeans. I can't imagine 32 I know, and actually, the brand that originally—the first brand to make 32 ounce jeans—they're trying to go further. Oh wow! Uh, last I heard, they were trying to make a 40 ounce pair, and I've been—I've been keeping an eye out, waiting for those to come on the market, and I haven't heard anything lately. So I don't know what the status is on those at this point. So 32 ounces—ounces ounces is a weird weight form. It's two pounds. Yeah.
0: So one yard by one yard was about three feet by three feet of fabric. Uh-huh. Weighs two pounds. That's a lot for fabric.
1: Yeah. I remember seeing a picture of like three pairs of 32-ounce denim stacked, just like folded and sitting there on a table compared to like 10-ounce <laughs> denim. Yeah. And it's like six times taller, you know, because it's, it's just wow. really thick. 12
0: to 15 is like the average or the normal I think.
1: Yeah, I feel like the stuff that you normally find in the U.S. in any random store, it might be even a little bit lighter, like closer to 10. Okay. Yeah, I love the heavyweight denim because, you know, as you wear them and those creases form, the creases are like really set in that denim. Like they're not going anywhere when you wash them or anything. So you get much more like high contrast fading. It just looks really cool, in my opinion. I want a pair. I got to find a some vegan ones that are that thick
0: yeah Uh, my options are a little bit limited because most jeans put a leather patch on their jeans Mm -hmm. which i'd rather not purchase but there are some nice brands out there that don't do that
1: i just got to find one that makes those really thick ones something
0: in the low 20s i think would be good 32 i don't know that might be too much
1: yeah if those 40 ounce ones come out i'm gonna I might just have to get them just for the novelty, you know, just to see what it's like to wear those. Yeah, you can let me know how comfortable they are. (laughs) Yeah. Uh, One last thing I wanted to mention in this section is stretch denim. That is a thing, even in the raw denim world. Uh, Some brands make stretchy denim by adding elastane. So that makes the jeans a little more comfortable, a little, you know, less break-in time. But some jeans purists won't buy anything that's not 100% cotton. Part of that authenticity thing. You know, jeans originally were just all cotton. So let's talk about fading.
0: Very important. Fading is the difference in color between new denim and
1: worn denim, to make it really basic. Yep. And I wanted to talk a little bit about why jeans fade. Why do jeans fade? Well, I'll tell you. So those cotton yarns that you're using to make denim Start out as white, of course, and then they are dyed with indigo. But the indigo, when they're dyeing the cotton, doesn't penetrate all the way to the center of the yarn. The indigo basically is piled onto the outside of the yarn in layers, but the center is still staying white. So once you turn that into jeans and you're wearing them, you go about your life and all the friction starts rubbing off the indigo dye, and eventually it starts to reveal the white cotton core. Fades are a big part of
0: denim lore for the people that are into it. It's a big deal. You can find websites and message boards and hashtags dedicated to people posting
1: photos of their jeans and how cool and faded they are. Yeah, for a lot of people, that's kind of one of the main things they're looking for in raw denim. They're looking for jeans that fade really nicely end up a really cool color and they're just focused on how do I get the coolest looking fades. And, you know, specifically when we're talking about Japanese denim, there's kind of an interesting thing going on there because jeans may have been new to Japan when they came over, but indigo as a dye was not new to Japan at all. Japan had been using indigo to dye clothing as far back as the seventh century. Oh, wow. Yeah. So they knew what they were doing. So there are brands in Japan that still hand-dye the yarn instead of using machines, and there are brands that still use natural indigo. So almost all of the genes in the world these days are made with synthetic indigo. You know, you can create this indigo dye in a lab, and synthetic indigo is chemically identical to natural indigo that you get from the indigo plant, but when you make dye from the plant, There are these impurities that are actually desirable because they give you these slight color variations. You know, synthetic indigo, since it's pure, all the genes are going to end up the same color, right? But with natural indigo, you might get some shades of green a little bit. You know, just these little things that make different pairs of genes different. So there's a theory
0: out there that I saw that says the longer you go without the first wash of your raw denim genes, the better your fades can become. I don't know that this is proven at all, but this has led people to doing things to make their genes not smell bad or not be as dirty, which includes some people putting their genes in the freezer
1: to kill bacteria on them. I wasn't even going to bring this up, Paul. (laughs) This, This is the thing that weirds out Some people about the raw denim community. Right.
0: This is not everyone in the raw denim community. This is like a few people going to extremes as far as I understand. Yeah. But I thought it was kind of funny and that's why I put it
1: in the intro. Yeah. (laughs) I think the consensus these days is that that doesn't do anything. Yeah. Every place I read about fading
0: was like, guys, just wash your jeans when they need to be washed. Yeah. Like, it doesn't matter. Like, it's going to be fine.
1: Yeah. Although... (laughs) I do think that there is some credibility to that idea that the longer you wait to wash your jeans, the more pronounced your fades are going to be because I think it's mostly because of the creases. When you're wearing a pair of jeans, you know, you get these creases that set in behind your knees or uh, on your thighs or whatever. And if you wash your jeans like a few days after you start wearing them, those creases aren't going to be as set. Maybe that's not the right word, but like if your jeans start creasing and they start fading in a certain way and then you wash them, maybe when you put them on again, after you take them out of the wash, the creases aren't going to line up with the fades that are already there. So you start to get more of a overlapping fades or something. Am I making any sense here? I get what you're
0: saying. Yeah. I would say
1: wear them until they're not
0: stiff anymore, which doesn't, I don't think take six months. Couldn't if you're wearing
1: them unless you get them dirty. If you spill something on them, wash your jeans. Yeah, just you know. That's the bottom line is if your jeans are dirty, just wash them. Yeah. But you can wear them for a little while without
0: washing and be sanitary. Mm -hmm. Just not six months. Sure.
1: So that fading, you know, we're talking about the indigo dyed yarns, the warp, which is most of what you're seeing on the front of your jeans. But that weft, the horizontal white cotton fibers that you're usually seeing on the inside of your pair of jeans, those can be dyed too. And a lot of Japanese brands have experimented with that. So Paul, have you heard of Kakishibu? No. That is a dye made from persimmon. Okay. And that is another dye that has been used in Japan for a really long time to dye clothes. And so some brands have tried dyeing the weft of jeans using that dye. It gives it kind of a brownish orange color. Some brands have used really bright colors for the weft, dyeing them yellow, green, red, like bright blue, so that you can kind of show off that color when you cuff your jeans. Okay. Or I guess if you wore your your jeans so much that you started getting holes in them, you'd start to see the weft poking through. Uh, It's not uncommon to see a black weft or even an indigo-dyed weft. And, you know, even though you're not really seeing that color poke through all that much, if you have a black or indigo weft your jeans are going to look super dark because you don't have those little white bits kind of peeking through. So when they do start to fade, it's like super high contrast. You know, you got this white faded area contrasting with a part that's still really, really dark. Uh, There's even a, there's a Canadian brand called naked and famous. This is the one that I was talking about that was working on 40 ounce jeans. Okay. So it's a Canadian brand, but they get all of their denim from Japan. And they made jeans where the weft was dyed with green tea. There was another one where it was dyed with coffee. Oh, wow. Like that. Yeah, that's a very experimental brand. They do a lot of weird stuff. Uh, Some brands also experiment with over-dyeing. Did you hear anything about that, Paul? No. So this is where you would dye the warp indigo, just like normal, but then you would put another dye on top of that, make it even darker. Like uh, you could put black on top of the indigo so that when it fades... The black fades to blue, and then the blue fades to white. You get much more depth in the color variations. Hmm. It makes the fades look kind of really 3D. Okay. Okay, so we talked about the fabric, but once you got that denim, you still have to turn that into jeans, and a lot of Japanese companies also get creative with how they construct the jeans. So one thing is the thread. You'll see different types of thread used to stitch the different pieces of the jeans together. So the material might be different. Some brands use all cotton thread for authenticity. Some brands will use synthetic or a synthetic blend just because it's stronger than 100% cotton. And you'll see different colors there too. Most blue jeans, like the classic stitching on blue jeans is gold, right? You got the blue denim, you got the gold stitching around the pockets and all yeah. that. Yeah. But some brands might use black stitching or blue stitching so that it doesn't stand out as much. There's a brand called Momotaro that's based on the Japanese folktale about Momotaro, Peach Boy. And uh, down the inside of each leg, they have a pink thread to symbolize the peach from the folktale that Momotaro was inside. I've seen those. Mm -hmm. Another element is hardware. This refers to all the metal pieces on your jeans. You got those... Buttons on the front, on the fly. You got rivets holding the jeans together. A lot of brands make their own custom hardware. as just kind of another, another little thing to make them stand out. Yeah, I've seen a lot of buttons with logos or unique designs on them. Mm-hmm. To use Momotaro as an example again, they have peaches on their buttons and rivets. I mentioned Samurai. Their rivets say, Shogyo Mujo which is uh, a Japanese concept of impermanence, transience, the idea that nothing is forever, which really, I mean, that, that kind of is what raw denim is all about, right? It's all about the evolution of this pair of jeans. Um, Naked and Famous, that Canadian company I mentioned, they have maple leaves on the back of their rivets just as a little thing like, oh, made in Canada. That's cool. Does Oni have like a scary face on theirs or something? Uh, on their patch, they do. Okay, I feel like I saw that somewhere. Yeah, yeah. let's talk about patches. That's a good segue.
0: Yeah, you see like you buy your Levi's, it's got the patch on the back that will say maybe what type of cut it is or what size it is or something.
1: Mm-hmm. And there, there's all sorts of designs that you'll see on these patches. Like Brands get really creative. The original Levi's logo on the patch had a pair of jeans with two horses pulling the jeans apart. To kind of show how strong they were. You know? <laughs> That's cool. So a lot of Japanese brands will play with that idea. There's one brand called Studio Dartisan that has some patches that show. It's basically the same as the Levi's one, except with pigs pulling it apart instead of horses. Interesting. Yeah. <laughs> uh, samurai has two samurai on their patch, like facing off in front of Mount Fuji in the background. Yeah, I saw Very that cool one. looking
0: one. There's some brands, I think, that are always changing them, part of making like each jean unique.
1: Yeah, like each model, each new type of jeans they come out with, they'll create a new custom patch for it. Yeah, that's cool. Mm -hmm. There are even brands that mess around with different types of leather for their patches. Paul, did you read about Arcuates?
0: Yeah. It was originally the curved back pocket design of levi's jeans like the standard back jean pocket
1: yeah like this the decorative stitching that kind of goes across the back pocket levi's had like a how do you describe that it's like the seagull shorthand sort yeah of like almost like two little wings
0: coming out yeah and now it's just a generic word to describe whatever happens to be the design on the back pocket
1: yeah and it could be anything a lot of japanese brands especially the ones that were kind of trying to make levi's reproductions at the beginning yeah they have arcuate that are kind of inspired by levi's they just slightly change them up so they don't get sued or something okay but yeah brands will just make up their own crazy decorative stitching on the back too isn't there one that's got three stripes or something Uh, on the back pocket has two white stripes two white stripes okay yeah that's a very they're very recognizable for that reason um evisa too they had like a little painted seagull thing instead of stitching oh, okay pure blue japan i mentioned that brand they don't use arcuates. they have a little embroidered indigo leaf on the edge of the pocket instead
0: that's kind of cool
1: yeah i like that one personally but yeah it's all just kind of a little a little signature you know a way to, to kind of call out this is our brand yeah absolutely uh you're also going to find a wide variety of fits some brands try to stay true to those original Levi's fits. You know, jeans kind of used to be a looser sort of thing, especially when they were, you know, purely work, a work garment. Mm-hmm. A lot of brands these days make more modern, slim fits. You can kind of find any fit you could possibly want. You just got to look around certain brands, you know, lean in, in a more modern or a more retro direction.
0: Yeah, I was looking at different brands and a lot of them had. Different cuts, like, oh, we do these four cuts, or we do these five cuts, and they weren't always the same ones. There's Mm -hmm. lots of different cuts, or maybe even different names for similar types of cuts. Yeah, totally. Like uh, skinny jeans were super popular when I was living in
1: Los Angeles. That's a type of cut that's especially tight. Yep. Got slim jeans, slim straight, slim tapered, boot cut, all sorts of stuff. I like the tapered, normal tapered. It's pretty looser
0: thigh, kind of tapered calf. I like that look. Yeah, they're pretty popular these days. Yeah.
1: So now that we know how denim is made and how jeans are made, we know about all these little different details that brands can work with to forge their own unique style and weave their own culture and philosophy into their jeans. Let's talk about just a few of the popular brands to kind of give you an idea of what's out there. We've mentioned samurai jeans. Mm-hmm. They use a wide range of fabric weights.
0: Their core offering is a 19 ounce raw denim. I saw that's got that silver selvage ID you mentioned earlier, representing the samurai sword.
1: Yeah, that's kind of their their theme is the idea of the samurai. You know, I mentioned they have the samurai in the patch. Uh, their buttons say samurai on them in Japanese. Uh, and yeah, that brand tends to. Lean in the direction of heavyweight denim. They're known for making a lot of really nice heavyweight stuff. You don't have a samurai, do you? No. That's one of the next ones on my list. Yeah, I was like, I
0: don't think I've seen him show me those. Yeah. You mentioned PBJ, Pure Blue Japan.
1: Yep. They're known for very textured, slubby fabric. Uh, One of their most popular types of denim is one where it's really slubby and both the warp and the weft are indigo and it's really rough. So, The roughness and the indigo warp and weft make it fade in a really nice way. People like that a lot. And you have a PBJs? I do. Okay. I remember you
0: shopping for them once, I think.
1: Yeah. That's the thing is like, since they're making them on shuttle looms, they're not producing a huge amount of denim at once. So a lot of times, if you're looking for a specific pair of jeans, you might need to wait a while for it to be back in stock because they're, you know, they're not mass produced.
0: Yeah, they make this many of them and sell them. Yep. And then you got to wait for the next run. Exactly. PBJ. That
1: should be our favorite brand, right? Yeah. PB&J. Paul Bresson and Jason. <laughs> <laughs> I'll have to get some. You should. They're great. Uh, another brand is called Ironheart. I don't think we've mentioned this one yet. No, but this is a really cool brand. This is another one at the top of my list. So they, their aesthetic is built around motorcycle culture. You got motorcycles on their patches and stuff, and they make super heavy denim. The pair I have my eye on from them is twenty five ounces. Oh wow.
0: Yeah. Yeah, I hear they kind of have a cult following for those really heavy, heavy
1: ones they make. Yeah. And they're known for being like absolute top tier in construction quality. They're just super, super sturdy jeans. There's Oni
0: jeans. Gotta love Oni. We've definitely talked about Oni on the podcast before, demons.
1: Go listen to our Halloween episode if you're not sure what an Oni is.
0: Like you mentioned,
1: they're known to be slubby, Mm -hmm. like a slubby like an Oni. That's right. (laughs) And their most famous fabric is called secret denim. Secret denim? What's that? It's a secret, Paul. Okay. It's named that because it's made with secret techniques. And it is, it's a really cool fabric. I have a pair of these. I'll let you feel them if you're interested. Okay, okay. Next time you're wearing them. Yeah. So this is a 20 ounce denim. So it's pretty heavy. And it's, like you said, really textured. It's got slub, it's got nip. But at the same time, it's super soft. I think they weave, it's like really low tension. So even though it's so heavy and thick, it feels like a pair of sweatpants, people always say. Okay. They're nice. I like those. And the pair I have is made with, natural indigo too. Uh, the last brand I wanted to mention is the naked and famous one that I mentioned a couple times before. So this brand is crazy. They get the most ridiculous fabric. Like they experiment to the extreme. So like I said it's a Canadian brand, but they work with these mills in Japan to get all their denim. All the denim comes from Japan and they make some weird stuff. They have normal stuff too, but if you're looking for weird jeans, this is the place to go. They have kevlar denim kevlar is the fabric that bulletproof vests are made out of yep they have cashmere denim interesting yep they use all sorts of crazy dyes i mentioned the coffee and tea Uh, they use sumi ink there's japanese calligraphy ink they've dyed jeans with that and they just kind of take any idea like anything that somebody is trying out in the denim industry and then they take that to the absolute extreme They have a super slubby denim that they call the king of slub, probably the slubbiest (laughs) denim you could find. They were the ones that made the heaviest jeans in the world. Sounds like they've just always got something unique going on with every pair that they produce. Yeah. And every season they're coming out with new stuff. Probably the weirdest ones that I've seen are scratch and sniff jeans. I heard about that. (laughs) What the heck? Like raspberry or something? They had two. They had a raspberry one and a mint one. (laughs) Oh, my goodness. Yeah. So if you're one of those people that never washes their jeans and people are like, oh, that's gross. I see you wearing the same jeans every day. You can be like, they're not dirty. Give them a sniff. And you just scratch and be like, oh, they're minty fresh. Had a rough day. You're not sure you're smelling great. Just (laughs) give your
0: jeans a good scratch. Yeah. (laughs) That's wild. Yeah. So now you know how awesome Japanese denim is and you probably want to get a pair, right? If you've been paying attention. So let's talk about the cost and uh, if it's worth it or not, right? So from what I've seen, the cost is often at least $150 plus for a pair. I saw it can go up to $2,000, but those seem to be like hand-woven denim. Like everything was handmade without much machinery at all right
1: the ones you're talking about are from momotaro and yeah they're they're not even made on a shuttle loom they're made on a hand or I don't, I don't know what the name for it is but there's nothing electronic about the loom like this is handmade denim it takes a very long time to make that's why they charge two thousand dollars for it but let me back up a little bit because i don't want to scare people off here well yeah you, we'll we'll explain you don't need to spend a ton of money if you want japanese raw denim okay there's a wide range there's affordable options for $100 or less out there. Yes. For a nice pair of
0: Japanese raw denim.
1: Yeah. If you're trying not to spend too much, you can find Japanese denim at The Gap if you want to. Or Uniqlo. You might be able to find some stuff at your local mall for 40 bucks or so. It's not impossible to find inexpensive Japanese raw denim. Yeah, If you're buying directly
0: from all these companies that we've mentioned that are making this super high quality stuff, that's where you're looking more in like the 150 to 300 $400 range, something like that, depending on exactly which ones you get. Yeah. But there's some things to keep in mind here. One is that most people get 500 to 1,000 wears out of one pair of these jeans. So that's money well spent if you get your full wears out of it. You can wear these jeans almost every day for a couple years probably.
1: Yeah, and for a lot of people that are really into raw denim, that's like the only pants they wear, you know. So yeah, if you're spending 150, 200 bucks for a pair of jeans, that's going to last you a really long time, and you know, people kind of form a connection with their jeans, you know. <laughs> like we we talked about the second skin idea. It's like a a constant companion through your life, right? Yeah, and that's you know, I feel like the the, the higher priced denim, it really only makes sense. If you're interested in like the craftsmanship, the history, maybe the ethical consumption part, you just like the idea of having something that's made by people that really care about the craft. Those are the people that are spending that much.
0: Yeah. And if you really think about it, if you're going to Old Navy or Ross and buying some khakis for 20, 30 bucks, they're Definitely not going to last you a year of wearing them every day. Dude. You're going to go through multiple pairs of jeans or whatever pants in that time, and the price becomes not not as much different as you might think it would be when you look at the price tag.
1: Don't even get me started on Old Navy, man. I bought so <laughs> many clothes from there that literally, like, I wash them once and there's a hole in in the fabric. Like, how does how that's, do you make clothes that are that? That's how you made? get. That's how you get pants for twenty bucks. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> So yeah, raw denim, you know, it's generally higher quality, probably more durable. You get the full life of the fabric because it hasn't been washed 20 times before you get it
0: or sandblasted or any of that stuff. Mm-hmm. It can only help them last longer.
1: Yeah. It is still hard to make an argument that it's actually more economical to buy raw denim because yeah, even if you do get a $200 pair of jeans is probably not going to last longer than like four dollars pairs. Right. But- you know, like I said, there's all that other stuff that goes into the jeans that makes them special. Yeah, they're really
0: nice. They're really nice and they'll last a while, which makes it, I think, worth it if you can fit it into your budget, of course. Totally. Or you could just collect a bunch of them and not even wear them and just enjoy them, whatever.
1: You know, this, it, there really is a rabbit hole. If you start getting into raw denim, it is easy to just buy a bunch of jeans that you think are really cool and then you just don't have enough legs wear them all. As not, a,
0: not enough days to break them all in. Yeah.
1: <laughs> it's a problem for
0: a lot of people. So you've decided you want some Japanese raw denim.
1: Where are you going to get it? Well, that depends. If you're in Japan, you might want to check out Jean Street. Kojima Jean Street. It's a super cool place. It really is. I don't know if I want to give away
0: all the little cool things you'll see there, but to give an idea, even the taxi cab was completely coated in denim, patches of denim on the outside.
1: Yeah. So remember in the history section, we talked about Kojima. This was the birthplace of the Japanese denim industry. And yeah, if you go there, you'll see that they've really taken on that identity, like they've made it. A part of the local culture, really. Yeah. As you walk
0: down Jeans Street, were the 10, 15 different stores all selling their own brand of jeans? At
1: least. And it's not even just a street. It's kind of a neighborhood. Yeah. And there you'll find a map there that shows where all the denim shops are. Like all these local companies have a little shop selling all the stuff that they're making. Yep. It was really cool. I enjoyed it. Totally. There's also shops in Tokyo. Hold on. You you really don't want to give any more detail about Jean Street? I mean, yeah, you could throw a couple things out there. <laughs> they're like they're clothes clotheslines hanging above the streets with pairs of faded jeans hanging from them. Yep. The vending machines are covered in pictures of jeans. There's the, a giant pair of jeans at the train station. Yep. Got a picture of you in front of those. They're, I don't know, 15, 20 foot tall pair of jeans or something. Something like that. The selvage lines that we talked about. The edges of the streets, like the painted lines on the sides of the streets are painted to look like selvage lines. That one might have gone over my head at the time. <laughs> yeah, I mean, there's just, you see denim references everywhere you look. There's a, there's a lot of cool stuff to yeah. buy,
0: too, in those stores. Yeah. Uh, there's shops in Tokyo. I think we actually went to a shop, was it the day before or the day after? We were, we were in a mall because it was raining or something, or we were looking for food. And we came across a store selling some of the oh, brands. Oh, yeah.
1: It was in uh, in Yokohama. We were just at a mall and some guy, I think I was checking out some Momotaros and he's like, oh, these are made in Japan. And I'm like, I know, dude, I know. <laughs> yeah, you guys broed out for a few minutes, you know, about yeah. uh, all the cool stuff on those jeans. Yeah, we had a little little jeans conversation. Yeah, he was a friendly guy. Yeah. Yeah, in Tokyo, there, there are a bunch of shops. Uh, Pure Blue Japan has a shop in Harajuku. The Flathead, another brand we haven't mentioned, but they have a shop near there. Momotaro has a shop at Omotesando. Next to Ueno Station, there's a shopping area called Ameya Yokocho, and there are shops there like Hinoya and Amerikaya that sell a bunch of different brands of Japanese denim. If you're not in Japan and you still want to get your hands on some Japanese denim, you're out of luck. Oh, wait, wait. Fortunately, that's not the case. There is the internet. Yep. The internet is always there for you. A couple websites that I would recommend are Denimio.com and OkayamaDenim.com. Cool thing about these websites is they have a wide selection of brands and styles. And with the amount you'll probably be spending on a pair of jeans, they will probably offer free shipping. That's always nice. Yep. And since you're buying them directly from Japan, you don't have to pay those import fees. Uh, You'll be paying the same price that you would if you were in Japan. So that's pretty awesome.
0: Yeah, I think a lot of the manufacturers have their own websites in English too. Hmm. There were a couple that I came across today at
1: least. Okay. Um, Now you might be thinking, how do I make sure that these are going to fit without trying them on? You know, a lot of people don't like ordering clothes online. But most places that sell high-end denim online will actually have measurements and not just the waist and the length, but like the knee, the leg opening, every part of the jeans, they're going to have measurements. So you can grab your favorite pair of pants, measure those, compare them to the measurements online, should be able to find something that'll fit you. Yeah, absolutely. But if you insist on trying on a pair of jeans before buying, there are actually some places in the U.S. that sell high-end Japanese denim. Most of these places, at least the ones that have like a really extensive selection, are pretty much centralized in big cities like Chicago, Seattle, New York, Los Angeles. If you you know Google around a little bit, you should be able to find something not too far from you. But I, I do want to point out that buying from these stores, you know, the jeans are probably going to be a little more expensive than buying directly from Japan because of those import fees and taxes and stuff that I mentioned. But... It's also good to support local businesses, right? Or you could be that guy that goes in and tries them on. Oh, cool. I'm going to buy these online for 20 bucks cheaper. You could be that person, <laughs> but you know, if, if you have a salesman that's helping you find the perfect pair of jeans, you know, yeah, I think you should support your local business and get them there to thank I them. agree. I agree. Another nice thing about these places is that some of them offer mending services. You know, if you spend 200 bucks on a pair of jeans and you form a little hole you don't want to throw those jeans in the trash and get them repaired. Nice. Mm-hmm. So there's Japanese denim. I hope you learned something. Hope you found it interesting. And uh, hopefully maybe we inspired you. Go get a pair of fancy jeans. Yeah, go out and enjoy your fancy pants. Yep. Fancy pants are cool. I guess that's the end of the episode. If you want to see some pictures of fancy pants, check out our Instagram. We are at SJP Podcast. I'll post some stuff. I'll make sure to post some pictures from Gene Street, too. Got some yeah. cool pics from that. I, I bet you got a few pictures of that. Yeah. You can also find us on facebook.com slash sightseeingjapanpodcast. If you want to send us an email, you can send it to feedback at sightseeingjapanpodcast.com. Paul, what are we talking about next time? On the next episode, we're going to talk about Valentine's Day in Japan and
0: its related holiday called White Day. Weird. What's up with
1: White Day? You're about to find out on the next episode. All right. Sounds fun. Thanks for listening. See you next time.